In ancient Greece, and I mean like really ancient Greece, uh, Greek theater was extremely popular. And the actors in these ancient Greek theaters would wear masks that, of course, represented the characters that they were playing. There's an ancient Greek word for this, these individuals who would wear masks and pretend to be someone else. The word is hypocrite. Now, thousands of years later, by the time of the New Testament, that term had taken on a pejorative sense, a negative sense. It was used for someone who was insincere, basically for someone who was wearing a mask, but they weren't in a play, right? They're pretending to be someone they're not and putting forward this facade, this joke, this, uh, this fraud on others. Of course, we recognize today that everyone struggles with spiritual hypocrisy, pretending to be someone that we're not. We know that's true because none of us are inherently righteous. And so there's an issue. There's an issue there about authenticity in our motivation for living in a way that brings God glory. Jesus has much to say about hypocrisy, and that's not surprising. But he especially has a lot to say about hypocrisy that's motivated by seeking the approval of others. Again, pretending to be righteous, doing righteous things just so that someone else can see them and think that we are righteous. Brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to so much more. And as we turn a corner in the Sermon on the Mount, we come this morning to chapter 6, where Jesus explicitly addresses the issue of our motivation But then he picks out three examples, example of giving to the poor, the example of praying, and the example of fasting. We're going to cover those in the next three weeks together. As we think about this particular issue, we inevitably are going to have to talk about how we handle our finances, and especially today, how we give to the poor. It may be shocking to you, but we just need to acknowledge that Jesus cares about how we handle our money. And it's not just that he cares about how he, we handle our money. Jesus cares about why we do what we do with our money, especially when it comes to giving to the poor. So yes, Jesus is going to come into your kitchen this morning. He's going to come into your, your QuickBooks, your YNAB, right? Your uh, Mint, whatever, whatever, your, your spreadsheet, your handwritten spreadsheet, whatever it is, right? Jesus is going to come into that area of our lives and speak to us. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 6, and let's be ready to hear what he has to say and be ready to grow here. In chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus sets the tone for this entire section on the Sermon on the Mount. There we read this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. This entire passage is a warning And really, verse 1 is the introduction to verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6. So we'll revisit it in the next few weeks. The caution is very clear. Jesus says, be careful, be warned, be careful not to practice your righteousness, which means to actually do righteous things or speak in righteous ways. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others with what purpose? So that you'll be seen by them. The idea here is very simple. It's that we might be tempted to do righteous things, speak in righteous ways, pretend to be righteous. Why? In order to be noticed as righteous by others for our reputation's sake rather than for the sake of what is actually good and right. Again, our motivation is it's simply to please and to gain the approval of others. 
And in the warning in verse 1, Jesus cautions us. He says, otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. There's a gentle rebuke here, but Jesus is saying, listen, if the only reason you're doing righteous things, you're pursuing a righteous life, you're speaking in righteous ways, if the only reason you're doing that is to be noticed by others, there's a very good chance that you have all the rewards you're going to have right now. Because in eternity, you will not have a reward. Basically, Jesus is saying, you're not in the kingdom. You're out. So this warning, this caution, it comes with a sober, right, warning, a, a sober calling to consider our motivation. In verse 1, we learn quite simply that God cares about why we do what we do. God cares about why we do what we do. The problem is in actually pursuing righteousness versus just pursuing wanting to be seen as righteous. It's not necessarily uh, too hard to consider how we might be tempted in that way. But let's talk about some of the ways we might actually do this, right? First of all, we might only act or speak in righteous ways when others are watching. So we, we know how this works, right? When, when we have no real inclination to pursue righteousness, but we're just, well, somebody else is around, so I guess I better clean up my act. Um, secondly, we may bring up our righteousness in conversation. Now, I need to say this delicately, but some of us are good at this. Right? There, there's an art form to the humble brag. Uh, and unfortunately, as a culture, just because we're, we're sinners, we're going to struggle with that. Where you might casually bring up some aspect of your life that may reflect righteousness. And, you know, it just, hey, if it comes up and comes up, right, what are you going to do, right? So you, you, you might naturally bring it up, uh, you know, in, in a way just to draw uh, subtle attention to yourself, Again, that's something that we all struggle with, I think, from time to time. So we have to be mindful of that. But of course, while this wasn't an issue 2,000 years ago, we live in the age of social media, okay? So now we're thinking about, well, actually, there's a, there's a way you can actually um, broadcast your life for others to see in an impersonal way. They, could, they can just go onto these social media platforms and see. And just in case you were curious, if, you, if you're like not a social media person, Okay, just so you can understand where we are as a culture, uh, even as a world on this issue. Okay, there are 450 million active Twitter accounts, 450 million. Twitter's got nothing on Instagram. Instagram has 2.35 billion users. 2.35 billion. Facebook has 2.96 billion just shy of 3 billion people broadcasting who they are on social media. Social media isn't inherently wicked. There's, it's just a, a medium for communication. So it's not, it's not wicked. It's not evil. But when we're using a, a platform like social media and we're, we're putting out to the world a projection of ourselves, we're saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm about. This is what's happening in my life. And we're asking people to approve that. In some cases, literally seeking likes or seeking followers, right? Imagine if you paid money to have a commercial made about yourself, right? So that way, when people are watching uh, the Red Bulls or the Giants or whoever, the Yankees, and then they see this commercial come up, and the commercial says, you know, John Smith, look at how great he behaved at work this week, everybody, you know? And it's like, <laughs> call this number to tell him how great you think he is. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, well, nobody would do that. But it's kind of, in some ways, how we might use social media. 
I just bring that up as a specific example to say this. We all will struggle in one way or another with living for living out righteous deeds, right, for the wrong reasons. My friend John Calvin called this the disease of ambition. And everybody's got it. It's does, it looks a little different. Maybe some of us are quietly ambitious. Others are very loudly ambitious. But we all have the disease of ambition. And by ambition there, he means sinful pursuit of the approval of others. I want people to like me, to affirm me, etc., etc. So we have to ask immediately, okay, <clears throat> if God cares about why I do what I do, then I should care about why I do what I do. So how do I know why I do what I do? We don't often stop to ask that question. But if you're going to know your motivation, you have to stop and say, why is it that I'm wanting to do this? Or why is it that I'm so excited about that? Or why is it that I'm participating in this? Jesus says, if all you care about is the approval of people, you have your reward right now. And frankly, the approval of people is quickly lost. I mean, you will lose it in a heartbeat. So Jesus says, if that's what you want, if that's what you're after, you've got it. But what you're not going to receive is eternal reward from your father. Again, this all ends up being a very sober warning from our Lord. God cares about why we do what we do. And just acting in righteous ways isn't enough. And frankly speaking, you know, in many cases, um, we struggle with that kind of pragmatism where we're like, well, why does it even matter? As long as I'm doing what's right. If as long as I'm doing what's right, who cares why? Well, God cares why. And so just checking those boxes, right, that is not kingdom living. That's not what Jesus calls us to. So that's the, that's the broad umbrella for chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. God cares why we do what we do. And then Jesus gets into the specifics, gets into our kitchen and our checkbooks. Here we are in verse 2. He transitions now to talk about one specific example, giving to the poor. Watch verse 2. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 here. So Jesus identifies this practice of giving to the poor. In the first century in Israel, all social help came from synagogues. So people who were poor that had financial need, they would have received assistance from the local synagogue. Those synagogues were dependent, much as our church is today, on private gifts from individuals in the community. In fact, there was, uh, in, in one area of Jewish law, there was a restriction on how much percentage of your income you could give to a synagogue, because some people were apparently giving too much of their income and impoverishing themselves, making themselves poor, because they were giving too much uh, to the synagogue. So there's like a rule about that. But all that to say, that was the vehicle that, that was used to meet the needs of the poor. So Jesus here is envisioning people giving to synagogues. But as they're giving to the synagogue, it's, you know, they're going to meet needs of the poor, they're going to be helping people. It's a righteous thing to do. It was expected. Everyone is expected to do that. But they wanted people to know. And so the example that he uses in verse 2 is a little bit humorous. He says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Now, most scholars, I think, rightly take this as a metaphor. I don't think people were actually blowing a trumpet in the synagogue. Everybody, I'm about to give my giving check. <laughs> you know, like, check it out, right? I don't think that's actually what was going on. Jesus is using uh, this extreme example, this hyperbole, to make a point. But notice that he uses our word this morning. He says, 
don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Of course, it would be ridiculous to be back at the giving box and take a selfie and post it on social media. You know, here I am giving, right? That's not what we're doing. But there are ways to make people aware of how you're using your financial resources. There are ways of kind of letting people know the significance of your giving. There are ways you can, you can let people understand how much you're supporting the ministry of the church, the advancement of the gospel, the meeting the needs of the poor. And we might do that to be applauded by people, to gain recognition. Jesus says in verse 2, Truly I tell you, they have their reward. Again, this is a specific example of the general category. If you're living in righteous ways just to get people's uh, applause, congratulations, you've got all you're getting out of that. There, there's no eternal blessing that's associated with that. You, you, people, are, they think you're great. Well, that's it. That's all you got. Notice verse 3, Jesus then turns the corner. He says, let me tell you how to do it. Don't blow a trumpet. Don't take a selfie while you're giving. Okay, what should you do? He says, but when you give to the poor, verse 3, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. We'll pause there before we get to the end of verse 4. So 3 in the first part of 4. So, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I'm left-handed, so I flip that around. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But either way, the point is this. Jesus is saying something that is actually impossible for us to do. How could you do something with one hand that your other hand wouldn't know about? He's making a point. Give discreetly. Give discreetly. Kingdom citizens don't give for show. Kingdom citizens don't give for show. The left hand, right hand thing is like, be so mellow about it that honestly your left hand's like, what, had, what just happened? And Ryan's like, nothing, don't worry, nothing to see here, right? Just, like, just, let's just take it down a notch, right? Don't do it for show. Do it because, well, because it's the right thing to do. Do it because we've trusted in Christ by faith and we reflect his character. Do it because we care about the advancement of the gospel and we care about people in need. Those are all good reasons to do this. But Jesus says, whatever you do, don't do it for show. You need to do it in such a way that it's discreet so that your giving, he says in verse 4, may be in secret. Again, kingdom citizens don't give for show. Caring for the poor financially is an aspect of what God has always called his people to. It is reflected in the Old Testament law, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And Jesus says his kingdom citizens are expected to be giving. But as they're giving, they're giving for the right reasons. When we do this, right, when we, excuse me, when we fail to do that, when we give for show, what happens? Well, one commentator said it this way. He said, when we give for show, we're buying, not giving. We're buying people's approval. We're not giving to meet needs, right? That's what we're doing. We're buying acceptance and favor. And as we mentioned already, that acceptance and favor is short-lived. But isn't it, isn't it so interesting that if we were, for example, giving for show, and we were hoping people thought more highly of us and accepted us because of that giving, we could very quickly lose that acceptance and lose that favor. But by faith in Jesus, what have we been gifted? We have been gifted acceptance in Christ. We're in the kingdom by faith in Jesus. We have that status and that favor already. We don't have to buy it. It's been given to us. When we give for show, we're glorifying ourselves, not God. 
I mean, again, it's ridiculous. Blow the trumpet, take the selfie, but what's happening in that moment? You're saying, hey, everybody, look at me. I want you to see how awesome I am. Footnote, because of God, right? But, you know, leave that at the bottom. We're glorifying ourselves, not God. And again, this cuts to the heart of the issue. Why are we doing it then? We're doing it to show our greatness. It's not an act of worship, and it is not righteous. See, that's the problem. Jesus says you've, you've got this, this faulty way of thinking where as long as you're acting in a righteous way, that it is actually righteousness, but it's not actually righteous. No, it, it doesn't work that way. That feeling, right, of self-glorification, and again, uh, we might get it in affirmation from people and having many friends or in the social media context, you might get it with a lot of followers and a lot of likes, but that affirmation that cannot ultimately satisfy our souls, once again, in Christ, we find that satisfaction. In Christ, we get what we could never buy. And in Christ, we find the satisfaction that everybody's chasing after. And so instead of glorifying ourselves, we can, we can glorify God by giving discreetly. Again, when we don't give for show, excuse me, when we do give for show, we're not buying, we're giving. All right, let's start that over. <laughs> when we give for show, we're buying, we're not giving. We're glorifying self, not God. And we're caring about ourselves, not others. There's no true compassion here. What's the goal? The goal is to make myself great. It's not to actually meet needs. And so if we consider, well, actually, if I'm a kingdom citizen, and I recognize that there are needs in the community that we are, we are leveraging our collective resources to meet, well, what should I do? Well, I should, I should discreetly support that work. Rather than make it about me, we make it about compassion and meeting needs. This is uh, one of those kind of cool moments where we can think about in the history of our church how several people, you know, were brainstorming together. How can we actually help the poor in our area? Because we're not in an inner city context, right? So it's not like we have, you know, people sleeping out on the streets. We, we do have people that are struggling financially. And so um, the ministry of my brother's place was born out of people from Green Pond Bible Chapel brainstorming together. How can we help people in need? It's a beautiful opportunity there to actually meet needs. But the question wasn't, how can I make myself look great? The question was, how can we actually care about others? Or if the question is, how can we see the advancement of the gospel in meeting spiritual needs? Because that need, of course, is universal. In 2 Corinthians 9 and in 1 Timothy 5, we see the assumption in the Bible that believers will be financially supporting the ministry of the gospel. But what's the goal there? The goal is to see God's kingdom grow, not to see my kingdom grow. There's a huge difference. Kingdom citizens don't give for show. Now, in our culture, the, the, the situation has changed a little bit in this regard. So you may be tempted to give, and you may be tempted to give in a way that, you know, uh, shows your greatness and communicate that to others. So that's certainly maybe the primary application of Jesus's point here. But in our culture, it's also very likely that we just don't give at all. Shocking statistics here have been confirmed through multiple different research firms that 75 in America, the United States, 75 to 90 percent of church attendees do not financially support their churches. Now, by God's grace, Green Palm Bible Chapel has a long history of faithful giving. Those aren't our statistics, thankfully. We don't keep records on it, but I know those aren't our statistics. However, we might look at that statistic and think, oh, we're doing so great, right? Pastor TJ often reminds us in our member meetings as we talk about our financial stewardship, he reminds us that our standard is not the world. We don't compare ourselves to the world and say, well, we've got, you know, 70% aren't giving, so we're doing better, right? No. 
Our standard is what does Christ call us to? What is actual righteousness? What do God's kingdom citizens actually do? Jesus expects us to give, and he calls us to give for the right reasons. So it's very possible that because we live in the United States, that that thinking, hey, you know what, I don't really have to support the advancement of the gospel or meeting the needs of the poor, that that thinking has infected our lives, right? Kingdom citizens give, but they certainly don't give for show. So let's unpack verses two to three here as far as how do we do this? How do we give discreetly today? A uh, couple ideas here. First, have a philosophy. Think about your giving. Think about how you're going to help advance the cause of the gospel and help meet, pra- meet practical needs. Again, uh, talk, talk about it with your spouse if you're married. Talk about it as a family. Don't just do it casually. And I would just say there, also, don't do it as an afterthought. Oh, you had a good tax return this year, so I got a little extra. That's what I'll give uh, to the Lord's work. That's what I'll set aside for others. Um, that's me first thinking, right? That's not kingdom thinking. So have a philosophy and, and leverage your, your finances for God's glory and your philosophy for giving. Two, focus on compassion and meeting needs. Again, it's not about you. So what you can do is you can actually think about, are there people in my life who have financial needs that I'm in a position to help them? Or are there ways that our church is, is leveraging our collective resources to help meet needs? I would say both of those are important questions, which leads to number three. Prioritize the ministry of the gospel. Again, the church isn't an afterthought here. The church is on the front lines of caring for others' needs. Do you know that when you give to Green Palm Bible Chapel, some of those funds are used to meet practical needs across the planet? Which is pretty cool. And we couldn't do that alone, but we can do it together. That's exciting. That doesn't let us off the hook, though, from meeting the needs that are in our own neighborhood, in our own communities. Fourth, be mindful of your conversations in social media. How can you give discreetly? Be discreet. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> like, be discreet. Don't make a big deal about it. This is, by the way, also why we don't have, like, a wall with bricks, you know, for everybody that's given gifts, you know, like, that kind of thing. I pitched it. The elders shot it down. They're like, no, i not doing that. They could be like LED screens. And like, no, 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 no. No, because we're not into that. Again, kingdom citizens don't give for show. I mean, in, in a modern, you know, in our modern technological age, you can give online. Talk about discreet. No one ever has to know. The only person that ever would know is our bookkeeper. It's, it's your financial giving is a total secret from pastors, elders, from everybody. Nobody knows except for our bookkeeper. So there you go. At the end of the day here, we're talking about the fact that kingdom citizens don't give for show. No, instead, we give for the right reasons. But what is the right reason? Notice how Jesus concludes this section in verse 4 as he gets down to it. So again, we're supposed to not let our left hand know what the right hand is doing. Why, verse 4? So that your giving may be in secret. But then note what Jesus says here in verse 4. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, Jesus isn't playing on selfishness here and saying, well, you're going to be selfish anyway. You might as well be selfish about eternity. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if your concern is, if I don't let people know how I give, there won't be any affirmation. There won't be any applause. There won't be any satisfaction for me. Uh, Nobody will think more highly of me. And he says, actually, hold on. You should be giving in secret. But guess what? Your father sees in secret. Psalm 139, Deuteronomy 29, Psalm 90. God knows every single thing we do and every single reason why we do what we do, right? So he says, your father, he sees what's done in secret. 
So if you leverage your finances for the support of the gospel and to meet the needs of those in our community, when you do that and no one else knows, Jesus says, somebody knows. God knows. And he says, God who sees in secret, God the Father who sees in secret will reward you. What Jesus does here is he draws the attention away from building a mass following of fans on earth. And he he draws the attention away from building a financial empire for yourself, by the way. And he points that and he points that attention where forward. And he says, what you need to do is you need to look forward to eternity. He said it in verse one, but here he says it again in verse four. Look forward to eternity. Why? Because your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. There's an eternal blessing here. There's eternal satisfaction. There's eternal payoff that's worth way more than how many likes you have on Facebook or how many followers you have on Twitter or whatever else it is, right? It's worth so much more than having that pat on the back from the people that you care about in this community. Kingdom citizens bank on our eternal reward. Kingdom citizens bank on our eternal reward which it turns out, I've been doing some research, is fairly substantial, your eternal reward. Did you know that? I, they're, we're having the biblical finances class, you know, at, at the, the 9 o'clock uh, adult Bible class time. And, you know, listening to that, there's the stewardship of our finances for thinking about the future and retirement and all of that. You know, you think about, well, what am I going to have available to me when I can't work anymore, when it's time for me to to kind of transition and you know that's an important question that you need to ask you need to act ask it from a biblical perspective but if you think about your eternal retirement package it's looking pretty good pretty good it really is ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 the apostle paul proclaims praise to jesus because in jesus we have received and his verbiage here is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms Which spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Your eternal reward is looking pretty good. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the apostle Peter says something similar. He talks about how we've been born again to a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we're being uh, preserved for an inheritance. And then he describes the inheritance as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading imperishable, it cannot corrode. Your, your, your eternal reward, your inheritance that you're going to receive in heaven, it cannot, it cannot corrode. It can't lose value. It's undefiled. It's not corrupt. There's no way it can be stolen. There's no way someone else can do something to take it away from you. I mean, it's, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's not, it doesn't uh, gradually lose value over time. Uh, as a depreciating asset or something. And Peter says, we're being kept and reserved for this inheritance that can never get smaller. It's glorious, and that's what's coming to us. And because of that provision, we are freed now to live for God's kingdom purposes in this moment. The motivation for giving discreetly is faith. And it's all rooted in the gospel. As we read forward in Matthew, Jesus will go to the cross for us. He will die on the cross for our sins, and then he will rise from the dead. And as he rises from the dead, what does he give us? Not much, just everything. Everything we could ever want. Again, that acceptance, yes, that satisfaction, yes, and this glorious reward. Sometimes people get distracted here and they say, well, see, there's going to be rewards in heaven. And, uh, and, you know, which rank are you going to be in heaven? If you're asking that question, you've missed the point. 
Don't worry about being disappointed in our eternal state. Right? When we're raised to new life with Jesus, you're not going to be sitting there going, man, I wish I had done better. Because I could have been in the Jersey part of the new earth. Right? That would, that's like, that's it. That's the spot. And I just totally blew. No, there's not going to be any regret. There's not going to be any regret. If your concern is, I want people to see so I can get some, I can get some reward now. Jesus says, if that's what you want, that's all you're going to get. You're not in my kingdom. You care about yourself. You're glorifying yourself. You're in your kingdom. You're the king. You're the queen. You're the one that matters. That's it. But kingdom citizens don't give for show. Why? Because kingdom citizens bank on our eternal reward. Because we don't need the approval of others because we will receive eternal blessing from our Father, who it turns out is very generous. If you're here this morning and you're not familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you that it's about more than just forgiveness of sins. It is about the forgiveness of your sins, which is glorious. By faith in Jesus, you are forgiven of your sins, absolutely. But you're also gifted so much. You're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. And when you become a part of his kingdom, you are blessed with, again, this provision, the satisfaction, and yes, an eternal reward. If that's new to you, I would love to tell you more about that. Because we all desperately need forgiveness, but that's not all we need. We all need also satisfaction. And we've got it in Christ. You could say it this way. We give much because we have been given much. Kingdom citizens reflect the nature and the character of our king. Kings set the ethical tone for their kingdoms. As goes the king, so goes the kingdom. And here Jesus says, my kingdom is filled with people who, yes, give generously to meet the needs of those around them. Why? Because they reflect the hearts of their father who is in heaven. And his, his heart is expressed so clearly in his love for those who are poor and destitute. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for me. That's our king modeling for us how we should live and how we should look at others. And so when we give to meet needs, we don't do it to satisfy ourselves or to make ourselves look great. We give because so much has been given to us. We give because by faith we're leveraging our, our entire existence, not on our ability to perform, but on what Jesus has already done for us. And yes, we bank on our eternal reward. So rather than hoard our resources, we will use them. We will, we will give them. We will pay our bills. We will, we will set aside for education and retirement, but we will advance the cause of the gospel with that money and we will see people's needs met. Not for our glory, but for his glory. We give much because we've been given much. So you need to ask the question this morning. First, am I giving? Right? Am I meeting needs both just directly, like I know someone in need, I'm just going to call them up, I'm going to help them meet the need, Right? going to figure out a way to do that discreetly? Or is it, am I investing in the advancement of the gospel? Am I seeing spiritual needs met and physical needs met through the support of the church and through other ministries? But then ask, am I doing that for the right reasons? Am I doing it because of my faith in Jesus? Am I doing it because I reflect Jesus's love and care for the poor? Am I doing it because I have an eternal perspective and I'm investing in God's kingdom rather than in my own. As we ask those questions, there will be an opportunity for us to repent. Because inevitably, 
you and I will struggle at some point in that. And so what should we do when we struggle? Don't deny it. Don't try to justify it. Just confess it as sin. Lord, I've been selfish with my money. Lord, I've been stingy with my money. Lord, I've been glorifying myself with my money. Lord, forgive me. And when we pray like that, we don't have to fear rejection by God. We simply look to the cross of Jesus Christ, who, while we were poor and still his enemies, he died for us. God cares for the poor. Our salvation is proof of it. That's the reason why we should care about the poor and the needy in our community. Kingdom citizens bank on our eternal reward. We're not seeking a reward in this life. My friend John Newton, was he wrote a letter back in 1772, a personal letter dealing with issues related to God's goodness. And he tells a story that I think is just so great, and the way he sets it up is, is too good. So I just want to share it with you. Because it encourages us to think about how we reflect the character of this great king. But just work with me here. It's, he says, oh, he gives bountifully. He gives like a king. A little is too much for our deserts, but much is too little for his bounty. So basically he says here, God gives so graciously. He gives like a king. He gives way more than we need, right? He's just glorious. But then he said, let me tell you a story. He he calls it a heathen story to make the point. He tells a story about when Alexander the Great was king in Greece, okay? So he says, Alexander the Great was king, and a man came to him, and the man didn't have enough money to pay the dowry for his daughter to be married, okay? So his daughter's met the love of her life, and she wants to get married, but they can't afford the dowry, right? So the, the, the citizen goes to the king. And he comes to the king, and he asks the king for money, for the dowry, for his daughter, okay? And so the king says, absolutely, just go see the treasurer, and uh, go see the controller. He'll take care of you. He'll, he'll issue out what, what you need. So, the, the man, of course, the king doesn't bother himself with the particulars, right? He's a king, all right? He's Alexander the Great. Definitely didn't bother with the particulars. So the guy goes down to see the controller. He goes to see the treasurer. And he says, yeah, the king said that uh, you'll give me whatever I ask for, for this, uh, you know, need, for this dowry for my, for my daughter. And, and the treasurer, you know, he gets out the checkbook. He says, okay, well, what is it? And then he gives him an astronomical number, like a ridiculously large, you know, 50 million should cover it, you know? Like, something like that. Right? It was just crazy. Like, what? And so, l- listen, the treasurer, and praise God, we need a good accountant. Amen? Right? We need, but that accountant was like, uh, that doesn't smell right. You know, like, 50 million, whose dowry, hold on, hold on. So he says, hold on a second. I can't just write you a check for 50, that, this is not, so then he goes to the king. The treasurer goes to the king, and he says, listen, king, I don't want to rain on this guy's parade, but I think this guy's trying to swindle you. I mean, he came in and he was asking for X amount for the dowry for his daughter. I mean, this is crazy. Let's just, let's just say no, right? The king says, no, let him have it all. I like that man. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. That accountant did not agree with the king. <laughs> Newton points out that this is the character of our great God. Our great God is both rich and generous. 
And he loves to be known as rich and generous. But it's his richness and his generosity that we're interested in. And as his people, his kingdom citizens reflect that that wealth and that generosity by giving for his glory, not for ours. That's the heart. That's the heart of the believer as we give to meet needs. Would you pray with me and we'll ask God to help us be good kingdom citizens in this regard. Lord, once again this morning we pause to consider our hearts before you and we think about these verses in Matthew 6. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for calling to mind the issue that we have with our motivation, with hypocrisy. And Lord, I I pray for those who may be here and who are convicted about hypocrisy in their lives, in general, Lord, or in specific areas, and we ask for help. Lead us to confess that hypocrisy is sin. Lord, lead us to repentance and faith and transformation. Lord, we think specifically of the example of giving to the poor, and we recognize that it would be very easy for us to give in such a way that focuses on our greatness, seeking the applause of others rather than seeking your glory, rather than reflecting your kindness and your goodness and your generosity. Lord, we confess you, you are rich and generous. And you have called us to be the same way, but not for our ends, but for your end. So Lord, we ask for help in this. Lord, help us to have wisdom and discernment as we seek to use what you have given to us to meet needs. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in compassion and care for the poor those who have financial needs in our own community. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the value in investing in the advancement of the gospel both here and across the world. We thank you for the faithful saints who have gone before us and laid uh, this track record uh, before us of doing a good job with that. But Lord, we, we ask that you would help us not to drop the ball there. And we pray that as we steward these monies for your glory, we ask that that you would indeed cause that, that giving to be effective, that it would reap benefit and fruit for your kingdom. Lord, protect us from self-centeredness. Protect us from hoarding our finances. Lord, protect us from building our kingdom rather than yours. Help us to see the glory of our eternal reward, which you have provided for us in Jesus. And Lord, may that reward motivate us to give discreetly for the right reasons. Lord, we're so tempted to selfishness in all these areas. And so that's why we are dependent on your help. And even as we fail, we thank you for the grace that we find in Jesus. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen.